Hi everyone, I'm Carla. And I'm Amon. And this is Screensaver, a podcast about all things pop culture. In today's episode, Iman and I are back to discuss Disney's latest live-action remake of the 1991 animated classic, Beauty and the Beast. We'll get into discussing the film's casting, the really weird-looking CGI beast, and ultimately its successes and shortcomings as a live-action adaptation. After this, we'll finish off with some screensaver signal boosts. Stick around. All that after the break. Mon ami, prepare to enter an enchanted world where you will be our guest. Think of the one thing you've always wanted and feel it in your heart. What if she is the one? The one who'll break the spell. All right, Iman, I'm actually really excited to hear your thoughts on this because we have both been withholding conversation about it since you and I both saw it separately. Yeah. Now, I can't imagine anyone listening right now isn't already familiar with Beauty and the Beast's plot, but in case anyone out there needs a little refresher, let's start the way we always do with a little bit of plot talk. Sounds great. All right. Disney's 1991 animated musical Beauty and the Beast was nothing short of an instant classic. Also, it's older than I am. (laughs) It was nominated for Best Picture the year it came out. It won Oscars for its title song. Now, more than 25 years later, Disney has produced a live-action version of the film starring Emma Watson as Belle, a bookish and rebellious young woman who's eventually imprisoned by Beast, played by a CGI-enhanced Dan Stevens. Over time, the two fall in love. Now, as a quick precursor to this whole thing, at Disney, we are taught to refer to the Beast specifically as Beast. So if you hear me doing that and it sounds weird, it's out of habit. Does... Okay, I know (laughs) we have an outline and everything, but I want to ask this question because I just thought of it. Does the Beast have a name? If he does, I don't know it. I know I've looked it up on the Disney Wikia before, but I don't know. And that was something that weirded me out during the movie, but we'll we'll get into that. Let's... Okay. So how about we start with our initial impressions? All right. Well, we actually saw this uh, separately. Yes. You saw it before I did. I passed up on seeing it for free. Oof. <laughs> But uh, why don't you start first, since you saw it first? Sure. Okay, so I saw it a few weeks ago with some family members, and I have to say, overall, I liked it. The set design and costumes were great, and it did a fine job of staying true to the source material while adding a few hit-or-miss flourishes of its own. I'm sure we'll get into those later. But with all of these Disney CGI remakes... I always find myself wondering if they're worth making in the first place. I mean, the original animated movies are so beloved, they're always going to pale in comparison to any remakes, so that caveat aside, I'd say it was good. Not great, but good. Yeah, I agree. I'm reminded of the uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm quote from Jurassic Park, where he's saying, uh, 
they spent so much time wondering if they could that they <laughs> didn't stop to consider if they should. <laughs> and that's kind of my reaction with a lot of these CGI remakes. Specifically with Beauty and the Beast, though, you had shared your initial impressions of the movie with me before I went to see it. Initially, just based off of the trailers I had seen, I thought, oh, that looks cool, but doesn't look necessary to watch. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity to see it for free. I just didn't want to see it. So I skipped. And then you saw it and said, I think you should. So I went in alone, very (laughs) grudgingly, uh, prepared to be disappointed given that the first Beauty and the Beast wasn't even one of my favorite movies. I was always more of a Lion King person. I didn't know that. I would say Beauty and the Beast, the animated version, is in my top five. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of creepily alliancing with the furry community, but I never was that into the uh, Disney movies with humans in them. Huh. Um, Except for Aladdin. Anyway, uh, (laughs) back to the movie. After watching it, all that said, I went in very low expectations. I was sending you side-eye emojis because I was mad I had to watch it. Yeah, I I felt like I was going to get yelled at if you didn't (laughs) like it. Well, that worry was unnecessary. I liked it a lot. A lot more than I expected to have liked it. And sure, it wasn't, like, the best movie I had ever seen, but for being a two-hour, 20-minute movie, I did not feel like a waste of time. That's that's good. One question I have right off the bat, because we have talked about one of these animated to CGI slash live-action remakes in the past. The last movie we discussed on this podcast was The Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. How do you think this movie compared? I think it's a little difficult to compare given that with The Jungle Book, the CGI aspect was something that was so heavily uh, promoted as part of the movie, given that the entire thing was shot in a warehouse down to, in downtown LA, mm-hmm. and you knew that 100% of it was CGI. With yeah. this movie, the CGI aspects were... I mean, it was the Beast. It was the animated characters, like mm-hmm. Cogsworth and Lumiere. Um, I liked it, but I also think that Jungle Book almost felt a little more natural because you want to animate animals. And with this one, they were animating clocks and things. Yeah. So it felt like the CGI was almost too good in the sense that they were obeying the physics of a heavy clock. Mm -hmm. So you would see it moving the way that a clock kind of would. Something that I should also mention because it will factor into later discussion. I was wearing an old pair of glasses when I went to see this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I saw it in standard definition with an old pair of glasses. So my vision was kind of blurry for most of it. So maybe I'm not the best person to discuss CGI. What did you think of the movie compared to The Jungle Book? I think, like you said... The special effects for Jungle Book were such a heavily pushed feature. I mean, it won an Oscar for mm-hmm. the the special effects specifically. It's hard to compare. I, I don't think we'll be having that discussion with Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. because it didn't feel like much of an accomplishment because at the end, the, the characters themselves felt a little clunky, but... It was beautiful. Yes. it Visually, it was very beautiful. Yes. I mean, it seems like both you and I liked it. Let's talk about some of the things that worked in this movie. 
Um, I think both you and I can agree that many of the characters actually felt a little more fleshed out than the animated movie. Yeah, I mean, this Beauty and the Beast, I think if they would have pushed it a little further, could have been the PG-13 version Hmm. of the animated one. They kind of took the approach of turning it into live action beyond just the visuals. I think the tone was also kind of matured. Right. I mean, with Belle, they kind of switched up her character a little by making her the innovator slash inventor rather than making that her father. Mm -hmm. She also comes off as even more of an outsider in this village. Maybe they were trying to appeal to the emo teen uh, audience by doing this. But it seemed like People in the village frown at her for her ingenuity, her literacy, and her indifference to wanting to get married right away. Yeah, I had kind of mixed up feelings about this, where Belle, it almost seemed like the discrepancy between her and the villagers. In the animated version, you feel like, oh, well, the villagers are just kind of continuing on with their own lives and she's different, but they kind of grudgingly love her. Mm -hmm. In this one, it almost, she was... It almost felt like it was a crime to read. There's just one, like, she goes and there's maybe five books. Yeah. Um, but she she definitely did feel like she had more of a character in this one. It wasn't just Sweet Belle. It was Belle facing adversity, and I, I get that. It That was an improvement, I would say. Yeah. What about the Beast? They kind of fleshed out his backstory a little bit more, too. I This was a lot more successful for me than even Belle's, because I, I haven't seen the animated version in a long time, as I mentioned. It's not my favorite, but I don't remember uh, there being an explanation for why he's kind of aggressive and upset beside the fact that he's been stuck as... Besides the fact that he was turned into a... Yeah, besides that... <laughs> Or they show that he was um, kind of bratty and ungrateful. We do get the transformation scene at the beginning of the movie when we get the backstory. But this movie took pains to explain why he was kind of bratty at the beginning. Yeah. There's a backstory with his mom. And uh, getting to see that, I think, was was helpful. Yeah, I I kind of liked that he's a little more sassy and sarcastic in terms of his sense of humor. Mm-hmm. They also emphasize the fact that he also is literate and shares yes. a love of books with Belle. Mm-hmm. Um, they also showed a lot more of his extravagant lifestyle before being turned into Beast. I thought this was interesting because in the animated version, the only glimpse of the prince we get in the movie is shown through the form of stained glass window art. Yes. And through that, they kind of built up the big reveal of his true form in the end. In this one, they still made an effort of masking his face at the beginning by caking it in layers Mm -hmm. of makeup so we still kind of get that reveal but they did show what his life was like before yes i thought that was really cool a little earlier you mentioned that he was they pushed the beast is literate or beast had a and to quote the movie expensive education Mm -hmm. i i really liked that because it felt like 
Even though, as with any animated movie or any movie in general, romance can sometimes feel a little rushed, with this one it did feel like there was a little more of a grounds for them to... Build a friendship. Build a friendship or a romance eventually. Yeah. And then, of course, I mentioned that they changed up Maurice's character. This is Belle's father. Mm -hmm. Um, They made him an artist. Yes. Which was interesting. And... He he came off to me as less absurd and batty. Yeah, I really liked that. It it wasn't the dopey father that Belle is. Oh well, I'll just take care of him. And uh, he he came off as a, a concerned father, almost overprotective. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they kind I, of explained that too. Yeah, it was it was really good. Another aspect of the movie that I really loved was just the scenery. The sets were beautiful. Um, I was actually sitting next to Bubby during the movie, and while we were watching it, I kept hearing audible gasps from him. <laughs> kind of like Abuelita when she went into the the opera house in Paris. Yes, <laughs> I... I have to agree. I think... I don't know if I was audibly gasping, but... <laughs> I did pull my phone out at one point to take notes for this podcast and just wrote the sets, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Man, it was gorgeous. At the beginning, you mentioned we get a sense of his more extravagant lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They definitely leaned into the Parisian extravagance. A lot of the, the rooms looked straight out of Versailles. Oh, definitely. Another thing I liked about the scenery was the fact that they kind of wove it into the the curse of the the beast itself. Mm-hmm. I don't remember this in the animated movie, but in this in this version, the castle itself is under the spell and as a result it's continuously winter and yeah. every time a rose petal drops Portions of the castle itself fall apart. Yes. That I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a really cool little detail that they added. Uh, I thought the fact that it was always winter was a little kind, too, because I'd imagine being the beast in summer would not be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I have here in my notes about things that worked were Gaston. I think we have to talk about him for a bit. I think I was smiling the whole time I was watching that. Gaston worked for me. I thought Luke Evans, though he's not as big and burly as some other actors... I think he definitely pulled off the narcissistic a-hole vibe pretty well, and I think he arguably had the best singing voice of the entire cast. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, to me, he was one of the few actors that really gave life and energy to his character in a way that I didn't see with Belle or or even characters like Maurice very much. Mm Mm-hmm. They also gave him more of a backstory as well by making him a war hero. What did you think of that? I liked that they fleshed that out about him. And 
you mentioned he gave life to his character. I think that's very true. Interestingly enough, while watching the movie, I didn't think about it that much. I just kind of felt like, ugh, Gaston's an asshole. Mm -hmm. Here's a question. Would you recast him? Because I know he looked a little old for Belle. That's what I was about to say. I think... Our, both our parents were complaining a lot about him and how he looked too old for her. I think she kind of looks young for her age. He looks a little older. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't recast him. I can't think of anyone else that would do the character justice in the sense of playing somebody that can mix that sort of swag and a-holery. <laughs> uh, the only person I could think of looks-wise would be Henry Cavill, who plays Superman. Yeah. But, God, he's such a bad actor. He would have been so boring. Luke Evans just brought that sense of, like, bravado and dashingness that you kind of love to hate. Right. Um, he had a really good voice, as you mentioned. I never thought for a second, eh, which I did think with Dan Stevens at parts and definitely Emma Watson. Uh-huh. But... I I have to admit, I don't think I thought about him that much while watching the movie because I was distracted by LeFou. Oh, interesting. He actually worked for me. Uh, given that there was a lot of press and attention given to LeFou before I saw the movie about, oh, Disney has its first gay character and they were leaning so heavily into that, I went into it very skeptical. Mm -hmm. um, but... That aside, I thought he had, hands down, the best comedic timing of any character in the film. Right. LeFou, of course, is played by Josh Gad, who yes. is is just a great comedic actor. Yes. I mean, there were... I, I recognize there was a lot of criticism of why is the, the first openly gay character um, kind of the buffoon, mm -hmm. but I didn't feel that he was catering that much to buffoonery as he was just good comedic timing. Because whenever it felt like the movie was edging into being a kind of bland or too dramatic remake, he'd pepper in fun, lighthearted, and very modern humor. Yeah. Uh, for instance, he would kind of joke jokingly overshare things. And that feels like a comedic convention that's very 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, at least. Yeah. Um, I will say the fact that his character was so publicly, like, lauded for being the first openly gay one did kind of distract from the character for me. I kind of wish they'd made a less big deal about it, but I yeah. liked him a lot. Yeah, and it, it was overhyped. Big time. We'll talk about that later, but I, I think him and Luke Evans were a great combo. Oh, yeah, definitely. Their chemistry together was amazing. Yes. Let's transition and talk about some of the things that didn't really work for us. Mm -hmm. uh, I know one thing I mentioned coming out of this movie was that it was just a little too extra. And by that, I mean they added 45 minutes to the original movie, <sighs> which seemed like it was just too much. We didn't really have to know what happened to Belle's mother, in my opinion, and I also really don't think they needed the extra songs they added. I think they added three of them. And for example, I would say The Beast definitely didn't need a musical number. Oh gosh. I was the one who had it all. 
I was the master of my fate. I never needed anybody in my life. I learned the truth too late. Okay, that's it. <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, I guess if you're a musical fan, it's it's whatever. But oh my god, his voice! I kept looking at my watch the entire time this song was going on. I. It sounds like he was singing with a sock over the microphone. Yeah, it's it's kind or of... Or with a sock in his mouth. <laughs> the woman next to me at this point, um, as I mentioned, I went and saw this movie alone, and the woman next to me was another woman in her 30s that also saw the movie alone. She was crying during this part, so I didn't pay that much attention to the song. But hearing, oh, God. Yeah, but hearing it back, I mean, first off, I really like Dan Stevens. Ever since Downton Abbey, I've just thought he has. I've I talked about him in Legion. I I really like him, mm-hmm. um, and I was curious to see him sing. And he doesn't have a bad voice. No, but they do the, that weird effect. That yeah, makes it I sound think so echoey. Yeah, like I'm sure if you just told him just sing as Dan Stevens, it would be a great voice. But when he, he's singing as the Beast, it's very like I was <laughs> like ugh. who. I kept trying to place a finger on who it reminded me of because it sounded so familiar. Yes. And I kept thinking of someone along the lines of Bonnie Bear, but not Bonnie Bear. Nope, nope. Okay. I started laughing at one point and I was hiding it because the woman next to me was crying, but I had the distinct thought, Dan Stevens sounds like the National. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> it it kind of has that mumbly quality. Yep. The melancholy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just pause it for a second. Yeah, for him it we're half away in part. I think Beast was definitely influenced by Bruce Springsteen and yeah. the National. Oh, for sure. <laughs> that was just, it was funny. Oh my gosh. And speaking of Beast, I think we also have to talk about the CGI. To me, one of the main reasons why it didn't work as well as it worked in the Jungle Book was because it was a little distracting at times. Yeah, I think with the beast, they had the challenge of not animating a straight animal. It was a very cartoonish combination of several animals mm-hmm. that they had to artistically interpret and make look real. Yeah. And yeah. it was uncomfortable. I was made so uncomfortable by this beast, and I have no idea why. Is it the eyes, the horns, like we were saying, his voice? The whole movie, I was trying to figure out why he looked so human to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, again, fuzzy prescription, so <laughs> I couldn't see him all that close up. But I realized, in retrospect, he had lighter fur around his face that ah. made his face look like it was skin-colored. So, from my perspective, looking at him from afar, especially when he's wearing his blue jacket later and he's gotten a haircut, he just looked like a furry, burly football player yeah. with long hair. 
And we and get, a beard. And we get a glimpse of his body when they show him shirtless in bed. Why do they have to do that? I mean, did... Ugh. I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm not saying I find him attractive. But did they want us to find him attractive? Because why did he have to have pecs and biceps like The Rock? I have no idea. I wonder if they did it so that they could justify the fact that this woman fell in love with her captor. I don't... That's gross, though, because the whole premise should be, oh, she falls in love with his mind. Yeah. That's, that's an true. argument to make him less physically attractive. Like, it's not going to be like, oh, yeah, he reads, and he's got pretty great biceps. <laughs> I mean, oh, oh that was gosh. weird. And it wasn't only the beast. I felt a little distracted at times by the Enchanted Castle characters as well. I yeah. I mentioned it before. They just felt a little flat. Mm-hmm. And it had a really great cast, but I didn't know half of those actors were in the movie until I saw the credits rolling. I mean, people like Stanley Tucci, Emma Thompson, Ewan McGregor. Yeah, Ian McKillen. Yeah. Um, I was aware of it just because I had read news about the casting, but actually watching it, yeah, they kind of faded little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely get you in terms of them falling flat. Unlike the animated movie, felt like a lot of these figures, uh, Cogsworth and Mrs. Potts in particular, uh, they didn't feel as bouncy as the original. And that makes mm-hmm. sense. I mean, it, you're not going to animate porcelain bending and warping. Yeah, same with Lumiere. Yeah, same with Lumiere, who was metal. Um, but that... That kind of made it a little less, a little less fun. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. when you get a scene like uh, the Be Our Guest one, which in the animated original is so fantastical and fun. This one, it just kind of came off as like a very expensive, trippy, didn't feel quite as childlike and buoyant. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Another note I have here. We mentioned her voice very briefly earlier in this podcast but was emma watson right for this role because on paper it seemed like a no-brainer for her to play this part but seeing the finished product i'm not sure she quite delivered and i i don't know i'm not sure why that is is she a good actress i i thought she was in harry potter i don't know (laughs) I mean, she was, but she had been playing that role since she was, like, seven. Uh-huh. And seeing her branch out into other movies, I don't know. It might have been the writing. It might have been her. Her voice was okay. It was a little breathy. Um, I mean, better than I would have done, and it was fine. Like, mm-hmm. it fit her character, but I think she was right for the role, but it was a little underwhelming. Yeah. Like, she feels like the type of actress that wants to be dramatic and is very, like, earnest with her eye acting. Like, her eyebrows are always kind of, like, knitted together a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think she laughed maybe, like, once or twice in the entire movie, and it felt kind of unnatural. Yeah, she felt kind of disengaged with everything that was going on around her, and maybe that was just because of the amount of CGI in yeah, the movie. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, overall, she was fine. I probably can't think of someone to replace her with. I wouldn't 
I think anyone I would, else would have annoyed me. Yeah. If you get Emily Blunt if you or get like Anne Rana. Hathaway. Oh god, yeah, get out of here. Emma Watson was right for the role, sure. <laughs> she did a fine job. She was good, yeah. I also like that she um I mean in Press Junkins you see like sounds like she was pushing for a more feminist approach to the character. Yeah. And I think that was a smart casting in that sense because she is an outspoken advocate for women's rights and also for sustainable fashion. I know a lot of mm-hmm. the costumes were sustainable. Doesn't she also have something like a book club? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think I ha- I did read about that. Yeah. So it, in terms of the news around her, it was a good, it was a smart fit. Right. And then speaking of news, we mentioned this before, but LeFou was definitely overhyped for his gayness. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, I was actually reading a review on Slate, and Jeffrey Bloomer had this quote to say about him. He said, It's hard to separate buffoon LeFou from gay LeFou, and the movie often conflates the two. I know you mentioned this a little bit earlier when you were talking about how much you liked Josh Gad, but... I think when Disney was placing such an emphasis on the fact that this was the first openly gay character in any of the Disney movies, it's going to lend itself to harsher criticism. Yeah. I think it would have been smarter to give him more agency and independence instead of what Josh Gad ended up doing with the writing, which was just kind of making it seem like he was leaning towards goodness Mm -hmm. and i think that was thanks to josh gad's great portrayal not so much the writing i i i mentioned this earlier i never really saw him as that much of a buffoon uh, a sycophant or a victim of bullying for sure um but i'm definitely agreed on the overhyped front especially when I think you could argue that the perfect example of portraying gayness with dignity was already in the movie huh who are you talking about? Cogsworth. Oh, that's right. I mean, nobody mentioned this, but <laughs> he's played by Ian McKillen. Yes. Uh, at the end of the movie, you see him reunited with a wife and very uncomfortable, asking to be turned back into a clock so he doesn't have to spend time with his wife. Yeah. I thought if it, if down the line they would have mentioned like, oh yeah, Cogsworth was gay. Yeah. That would have been great, especially since he also had... I'm not, there was no twinge of homoeroticism between his uh, relationship with him and Lumiere, but I think that would have been even better mm-hmm. for to portray a gay character that can have a guy friend that he's very loyal to and, w- and that he's not in love with, unlike yeah. LeFou and Gaston. Yeah, where they kind of, by saying that LeFou was a homosexual character, it was kind of funny how they only expressed that in terms of him being either attracted to Gaston or being attracted to a character that's introduced later, or at mm-hmm. least it's implied that he's attracted to him. Stanley. Yeah, Stanley. <laughs> Every, what is it? Tom, Steve, or Stanley. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. I, hats off to Josh Gad. He did a good job. All right. Well, do you want to talk shout outs? Yes, we haven't done shout outs in a while. Well, since Get Out. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we haven't uh, done it in a whole zero episode. <laughs> I don't have many shout-outs for this. Maybe I was paying too close attention to the movie to notice other details, but one shout-out I did have was shout-out to Massive Snowballs. Oh my gosh, that was really funny. 
Yes, uh, it reminded me of Elf in a way that yes, uh, Belle and Beast were having a playful snow snowball fight in the gardens of his castle, and then she just gets pelted by like a watermelon sized yes. straight in the face. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great. Another shout out I had was just. The prince's surfer dude long hair at the end. Oh my gosh. I know a lot of people were laughing at this because it, it he looked like such a Californian. Yes. For all the ways that they made the movie differ from the original animated film, why did they feel like they had to maintain his shoulder length hair? Yeah. That felt very it just looked late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, it really did. What about you? What were your shout outs? Shout out to laundry machines. Ooh. There's one scene where we get a little glimpse into Belle's inventiveness, and this one felt like a good feminist twist. She Mm -hmm. makes a laundry machine and is teaching a kid to read. Uh, The village's reaction to, oh, we're going to destroy your laundry machine and you're teaching a girl to read. That's terrible. That was a little extra for me, but whatever. Yeah. Um... Also, shouts out to that one lady. She had, there's one lady that had a curl. Her bangs were curled backwards. Every time I saw her, I thought she looked like Conan O'Brien. Oh my god. She had red hair and her face even kind of looked like him. I was also distracted by, you know those three maidens that fawn over Gaston? Yes. They had curls but plastered to their foreheads. Yeah. I also thought they weren't, in the animated movie, they were at least like... Oh, like, cute ladies. Yeah. In this one, they made them seem almost like prostitutes. I didn't like it. Yeah. It wasn't impressive that they were fawning over Gaston. Yeah, and they they were supposed to add comedic effect, but they didn't in this one. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> um, what else? A shout out to Boz Lerman. <laughs> Who's Boz Lerman? He directed Moulin Rouge and The Great Gatsby. Oh my god. <laughs> um, did he have anything to do with this? He did not, but he's known for these over-the-top, trippy scenes. And when I was watching Be Our, the Be Our Guest musical scene, I just thought, oh god. Especially since Ewan McGregor was in the middle of the scene, I just thought, this Sounds like they brought him in for this. Oh my god. We would have known it was him if they started playing Jay-Z and Kanye West in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I just thought that was a funny twist. And and lastly, uh, she has to to powder blue suits. Oh my god, yes. Another retro looking fashion choice. Yeah, when they turn the beast into the prince at the end, man, with that hair and a powder blue velvet (laughs) suit, it was just... He was killing it. Yeah, I mean, I I would have been asking him to grow a beard at the end, too. She (laughs) wants him to turn back into the beast, I felt. Oh my gosh, yes. I feel like my last shout-out has to go out to that beast growl at the end because it made me uncomfortable for days. It was weird. Yeah, I'm still weirded out by the beast. I don't know if I'll ever... Get over him. (laughs) Yeah, it's one thing that just doesn't translate all that well to a live action. All right, what about ratings? Um, You go first. Okay. Um, As I said at the top, Beauty and the Beast is a fine movie. Does it outshine the original animated version in any way? No, absolutely not. 
But I don't think that's the point with these movies. Beauty and the Beast's best parts, for me, were the ones that reminded me of why I loved the animated version so much. And that alone made me really glad I saw it. So for that, I will give Beauty and the Beast 6 out of 10 Gaston bite marks. <laughs> that was a weird part that I'm not going to get into now, but yeah, no, that's a good rating. This movie made me nostalgic. Not for the original animated movie, which, as I mentioned at the top, I wasn't born when it came out. Uh, I think I was too young to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. It made me nostalgic for more recent live-action Disney classics, specifically the original Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, wow, yeah. It had a grittier feel. The color scheme, everything was a lot darker, the CGI. It had a feel, its love story in particular, had a feel that was kind of like guilty pleasure young adult fiction. Yeah, I can see that. Where you have a female protagonist falling for a guy. Um, their their romance is predicated largely on this sense of him being kind of patronizing. Like, oh, you like, you like <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and then she's like, well, I caught you reading the Knights of the Round Table, oh, yeah. Lancelot and Guinevere. And he's like, oh, well, it's knights and stuff. And she's like, oh, you're so cute. Like, it's almost like nagging. Yeah. I have to admit, that's a guilty pleasure young adult thing that I think all young women are t groomed to like <laughs> or appreciate as romance, as adults not into it. But um, yeah, it felt like a good throwback to that. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. I would actually give it 7 out of 10. Um, 7 out of 10 what? Blue Bermuda shorts. Oh my god. At the very end, I know we keep referencing uh, the Beast's transformation into the prince, but he was wearing a pair of shorts that reminded me of an Old Navy ad. Oh my um, god. And yeah, it made me chuckle at the end. So yeah, 7 out of 10 Blue Bermuda shorts in honor of Beast's fashion choices near the end. Very nice. Okay, well, what about some quick signal boosts before we finish up this episode? Yes. I don't have too much to say about it besides go check it out, but this has been a big week for KDOT. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. For we're Ken talking Kendrick Lamar. We're talking Kendrick Lamar. Earlier this week, I believe, or was it at the end of last week, he erased, or whoever handles his social media, erased every image from his Instagram and replaced it with one black background or with one picture it was a black square with the number four written on it oh i didn't know they they did that to his instagram yeah that was actually uh when i had sent you a frantic text saying kendrick question mark i sent it to you and i sent it to eric uh -huh. and eric responded kendrick question mark and it was the single proudest moment i've ever had that he didn't <laughs> know ahead of me Maybe he did and just wanted to know what I was asking about, but for one shining second, I thought I made it to a a rap news piece before our cousin Eric did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that happened, and not 10 minutes after that image was released, I was on Twitter and Tumblr frantically refreshing, and we got a new track, The Heart Part 4. Yes. Which starts out smooth and then it hits you with a beat change. It is such a good song. A couple days after that, we got a music video. Yes. Humble, which 
is so amazing. It's really great. It's gotten interesting reactions as all news or as all music videos do. Um, some feminists are complaining about it. Others love it. It's been, yeah, it's whatever. Uh, apart from that, the, the music itself is great. The music video is just so fun to watch. There's a little reference to Grey Poupon, which I especially enjoyed. But yeah, that's that's my big signal boost for this week. Everything Kendrick Lamar. Everything Kendrick Lamar. Nice. For me, I think I have a couple. Mm -hmm. One of them is a podcast you recommended to me that I checked out recently and have been really curious and hooked on, S-Town. S-Town is a podcast created by the makers of Serial and This American Life, and it is also kind of a mystery-slash-documentary-style podcast about Uh, a man living in the rural south and it's really interesting and they are incredible storytellers and i've loved it so far i'm only two episodes in so i've already gotten the big reveal but okay i i appreciate the fact that it's kind of steering away from the pitfalls that serial had in the sense that they were really selling it as a cliffhanger type entertainment show Mm -hmm. and this one is a little bit more of a personality just take a deep dive into this individual right and get to know his life story yes so i'm definitely like i said i'm only two episodes in but i'm excited to finish that and another quick signal boost will go to a book i read a while ago but i don't think i ever promoted on this podcast The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. It's an incredible novel, and it's been coming up in the headlines recently because they just announced that Barry Jenkins is doing an adaptation of the book for a drama series on Amazon. (laughs) I'm really excited about this. Man, that's awesome. I need to finish the book then. Yes, I'm recommending everyone read the book now because I'm sure the show will be good. Of course, Barry Jenkins is the director of Moonlight. so Oscar-winning Barry Jenkins. Yes. And I'm sure the show is going to be amazing, but you definitely have to read the novel beforehand. Great. Yes. So with that, I think that does it for this episode of Screensaver. For those of you listening out there, if you have any thoughts you want to share with us on the stuff we've covered today, let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at ScreensaverPod and like our Facebook page, Screensaver Podcast. And as always, you can find other episodes of Screensaver on iTunes. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Is it the heart or the heat? I thought it was... Is it the heat? Hold on, we'll edit this. Oh, the heart. Yeah, the heart part four.